Welcome to the Books and Travel podcast. I'm Jo Francis Penn, thriller and dark fantasy author, bringing you escape and inspiration about unusual and fascinating places, as well as the deeper side of books and travel. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page. And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my ebooks for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Hello, travellers. I'm Joe Francis Penn. And in this episode, I'm talking to Cynthia Morris about how to visit Paris like an artist. We talk about how walking and wandering is a great way to see the city with a more relaxed attitude, as well as how to manage museum and art gallery overload, how to pay attention to your curiosity and tap into sensory detail with colour, taste and sound and smells. Plus, we talk about some of our favourite places in the city. So I know you'll enjoy this discussion and I'm pretty sure you'll want to go to Paris by the end of it. Cynthia Morris is the author of historical fiction, as well as travel memoir and creativity books, including Visit Paris Like an Artist. She's also a coach, speaker, and runs workshops in Paris and online. So welcome, Cynthia. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Oh, we're excited to talk about this today. So tell us why Paris? Tell us more about how you came to fall in love with the city. Mm. Yeah, well, there, to go way back when I was in high school and had to choose a language to study, I chose French because my grandmother, my mother's family is from Louisiana. And the family lore goes that my grandmother was not allowed to speak her native French in school and she was punished for it. So I took up French as a way to sort of carry on the lineage. And then um, instead of being at high school graduation, I was on a plane to France to study there for three weeks. I got to Paris and fell in love immediately and then spent a year studying in France. So that's kind of how I got into it. But then why do I still love it? The city is such a unique city to me. I've been to other cities, but Paris stands out as a real testament to beauty and also hospitality. There's such a way that the streets and the way the city is laid out and designed that make it really a place to hang out and just be out on the streets. There are wide sidewalks, lots of green spaces, water fountains, park benches, so and then, then the cafes. So there's a place where there's beauty everywhere. You you turn every corner and the buildings are gorgeous. And then there are ways and, and invitations to pause and linger and enjoy. So really the beauty of it is what keeps me going back. And it's interesting because I, I feel like Paris is one of those, because it's so famous, you know, people are like, oh, everyone go to Paris. <laughs> but it, it, that can actually make it too touristy. So what are your tips for getting under the surface of Paris and, and doing more than just the Eiffel Tower? Yeah, that, that it is. It's a total icon in the world of, of a place of romanticism, I think. And so mm. I, for a long time, I was really just kind of chagrined that I was in love with a cliche. Like, oh, really? <laughs> but um, writing Visit Paris Like an Artist really helped me to see how much Paris influenced my life and made me the woman I am today. 
So in terms of getting away from tourism, first, I would, I would say before you even go, get clear on what kind of trip you want to have. What's important to you? Is it seeing all the sites, picking them off a list, or is it more getting a sense of what it's like to be a Parisian and live in the city? So I always rent an apartment. I never stay in a hotel because partly because I just need my morning coffee right away. And I like to have my morning time. I don't really want to go out for food and coffee. So I I rent an apartment and that helps me feel like I'm living there. And then in that way, I'm able to inhabit a neighborhood more than just visiting touristy sites. So neighborhoods to me are the key for any city, but Paris especially has its 20 arrondissements. So each one has its own flavor. And if you stay in one neighborhood, you can play with getting to know that neighborhood. You go for your morning croissant or you go and see, explore the streets. So one of the things I like to do is I'll have one thing a day that I'm doing. I will go to the Pompidou Center or I'm going to something across the city and I'll make my way there. I'll give myself plenty of time to go there, discovering things along the way, or I'll give myself time afterward to wander around and explore a little bit. So I don't spend a lot of time necessarily in a touristy location. Just getting to know the neighborhood and the streets is such a wonderful way to get to know the city. Well, what are some of your favorite neighborhoods, the arrondissement that you have enjoyed the most? Mm, Yeah, good question. I've tried to stay in different ones so that I get to know the city more. When I was researching my novel, my historical novel that is set in Paris, I spent a lot of time in the sixth. And that's kind of in the center. It's on the left bank. A lot of art galleries and literary history is there. So that's in the Luxembourg Garden. I love that neighborhood. But then I've expanded out. I really love the 11th near République, Oberkampf, kind of from the Bastille up. And there's a big, um, the Boulevard Richard Lenoir goes up along there. And it's kind of in the middle. It's a pedestrian walk with lots of trees and they have markets there. So that's really a beautiful strip, like east of that. I love that whole neighborhood. And that's where I've been staying more and more lately. So those two neighborhoods, the um, the 11th and uh, and then I've also been discovering the 9th and the 10th which are just above kind of just below Montmartre and that's where there are a lot of new businesses and artists and a lot of the young creative class is in the 9th and 10th now and the 11th so someone called the 11th the Brooklyn of Paris so just to Mm. kind of have a sense of the creative vitality of more new Paris yeah. And in terms of language, because I mean, obviously you you speak French. Are, are you fluent in French? I am. I have what I like to joke is a highly useful French degree. So, <laughs> you know, it actually has turned out to be useful going there every year and leading workshops there has been sort of an extended graduate school for me, continuing to learn about the language and the culture. It's just super fun for me to speak another language and, and French is just really fun. But if people don't speak French, do you think staying in the neighborhoods is still worthwhile? Or there's also a stereotype of sort of French people being a bit standoffish if you try and speak terrible French. Uh, So what do you think about the language side of it? Yeah, well, I think it's definitely easy to feel self-conscious about 
not speaking a language, but that just, if you don't, the fact is you just don't, and that's okay. I think what I've always done when I go to a country where I don't speak the language is, is get a few of the phrases of politeness and thank you, just a few phrases that, that show that you, you care enough to learn. Thank you. And those, those simple niceties. And if you do speak a little bit of French, you know, just saying it with a smile, like, Oh, je parle un petit peu. And, and people, the French, you know, in, in terms of the service class, when you're in a restaurant or a cafe or something, they generally seem to like to play with you. The French are very flirtatious. So if you kind of go in with a sense of play and lightness and maybe even a little of flirtatiousness, they pick that up. They love that. And then a lot of, you know, most, most people that you're going to encounter do speak English and um, English is the international language. That is, if that's, that's a language you speak, if that's your native language too, I think just not being too hung up about it or self-conscious about it. I went to Japan. Clearly I'm not Japanese. I don't speak um, Japanese. I went to Morocco recently. Again, I don't speak that language. So just having a few words of politesse made all the difference and people seem to be fine with it. So I wouldn't worry about it too much is what I would say. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I I would agree. So where are some of your favorite places to visit? So where do you find artistic inspiration? Oh, I could go on and on. Um, (laughs) Just a few. (laughs) Just a few. Well, first, as I said, just wandering around on the streets, there's something, there's always something that you're going to discover and so going out with a sense of discovery, this word flané is to wander and to just enjoy and kind of let your curiosity guide you. But I mentioned markets. I love going to the open air markets. And when I have an apartment that it makes it easy to buy fresh produce, that just stimulates me so much seeing the food and seeing people shopping there. I also love the cemeteries, especially Père Lachaise Cemetery it's just really one of the most special places on the planet. Other cemeteries there, Montparnasse Cemetery, a lot of literary luminaries are buried there. Simone de Beauvoir and Jean-Paul Sartre are in the Montparnasse Cemetery. And then I like to go behind places. So for instance, Notre Dame, it's right in the center of the city. Everybody goes there and there's this big plaza out in front where you see a lot of people. But if you go behind Notre Dame, there's a wonderful garden and a little park and it's in their shade. It's a great place to, it's much more quiet. So I'm always seeking out the quiet spots. So behind Notre Dame, if you go up to Montmartre and you're near Sacré-Cœur, go behind Sacré-Cœur. There's another little park there. So kind of going to any touristy place and just kind of popping adjacent to it or going behind is a place that I love. I love in Paris, the river is a really special part of the city. So walking along the river or along the bridges. And then lastly, uh, I love, I'm always seeking out green spaces. So while I love Paris, I am very much um, a sensitive person. I need to take breaks and get a little bit of nature. So the parks, the pocket parks and the Luxembourg gardens is a place where I always have to go and hang out. It's a great place to recover from jet lag. Now, it's interesting. You talked about walking a lot and wandering in the, the flaneur uh, type of uh, way of life. And it's I do find a lot of Americans in particular don't actually walk that much. I mean, I don't even have a car living in the UK. I, I walk all the time, but I feel like it's almost a lifestyle difference with Americans. It might be. I know there's a trend of 
counting your steps and walking is a fitness thing. So it's more like, I've got to get my steps in. But um, walking, I, I love that you bring that up because it's really the best way to be in touch with a place. Literally, you're going to rub elbows with people. You're going to encounter things. You're forced to slow down. You're also going to get lost. And I think that's one of the best things you can do in terms of opening yourself up to serendipity or synchronicity. We, we can have our itinerary. We can want to do all these things on a trip, but getting lost and, and letting yourself surrender to where the current is taking you, I think is one of the things that usually gives us the most when we travel. And I, I'm not you know here to giving travel advice necessarily, but one of the things I would say is having too many things on the agenda, trying to cram too many things in keeps you in that efficiency mode that you have at home. When we're at home, we're kind of like going on errands and trying to get things done and we're not really slowing down and enjoying. So I would say, don't do that when you travel. Don't pack your itinerary with things that you must do. That sounds mm-hmm. like not not fun to me at all. <laughs> or, or at least it's a combination of both. I mean, I, I feel like it was probably the third or fourth time that I went to Paris that I could actually relax because before then I was running around doing all the things I had to do. <laughs> right. Well, there's so much to do. It's hard not to. I, I would say one or two things a day with plenty of space in between for a nice lunch or time in the coffee shop. Always by the end of the the afternoon, I'm just kind of full. So it's a great way to just process everything, sit in a cafe, do some journaling, some sketching, whatever, just to rest and absorb it and then go on for, you know, part two, the evening. Yes. Well, obviously there are some key places that people will want to visit. For example, the Louvre, (laughs) it it sort of is a must visit if you are an art or culture lover, even an architecture lover. I mean, there's some brilliant architecture around there. So how, how does one make the most of museums and not sort of want to kill oneself? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially the Louvre, it's, it's just massive. You can't really see it all. So Take advantage of maybe you do a guided tour and I, there are a lot of Airbnb experiences that there are some that are a guided tour of the Louvre. And I think that can help to concentrate and focus your attention and awareness. If there are specific pieces of art that you want to see, knowing what those are um, and also knowing when you're done. I was at a museum last week and it's the Barnes Foundation in Philadelphia and it's chock full of art. It's just so much. And then there was a point I was on the second floor. I'm like, okay, I, <laughs> I'm feeling pain. I'm done. So knowing when you're done and then taking a break, you can take a break in the cafe or, um, or just be done. I know like really I've got maybe two hours in a museum. So knowing yourself and then knowing that that's enough and you can come back and you don't have to see everything. There's definitely a point of diminishing return. Yeah, totally. I I like to research in advance. And I I think there's definitely a balance of what you're saying, getting lost and wondering. But if I can identify at least one thing that I definitely want to see, and then on the way to that thing, (laughs) to to notice a few other things. But as you say, there's so much in the Louvre. And I mean, there's Musée d'Orsay, there's there's so many museums and art galleries, You, you almost have to want to see something. Although I wouldn't suggest it's the number one thing on everybody's list. It might be something a bit unusual. Like I like sculptures and within the Louvre is a really nice sort of sculpture atrium. 
and that I like going there and you can sit there it's kind of open to the sky and that might be another way to address it right exactly knowing what are the things that you're interested in and focusing on that um I I don't think I went to the Louvre for a long time because I'm not a big crowd person I tried to avoid the highly trafficked places I much prefer the side streets I love Rue de Seine which is um it goes like from the sun straight into the sixth and it's just lined with art galleries. And that is a fun way to go. If you do get overwhelmed with crowds or the Louvre seems too much. And if you want to see what contemporary artists are doing, that's a great way to window shop. You can pop in here and there and see what's going on in the contemporary art scene. Mm. And of course, you talked there about stopping for a nice lunch. And we, obviously, we can't talk about Paris without food and wine. So I, I do think that having a croissant in Paris and in France in general is important. But uh, what are some of the other things that you like to eat and drink or, or what to avoid? Well, I mean, every day it's the, the vitamin P, the daily pastry. I <laughs> Just, I like that. Help. I haven't heard that before. I would agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't help myself. I mean, I, I, it's funny because I'm not eating pastries every day at home for sure, but it feels like some kind of duty because it's so good. And I really don't eat croissant or pain au chocolat outside of France much because they're just not as good. So pastries for sure. And there's one of my favorite places is I think it's in the tent. It's du pain et des idées. And it's uh, wonderful. And they also have bread. And so some of the things I love, it's kind of cliche, but the cheeses are just fabulous. Going to either a cheese shop or an open air market, or even just the supermarket, you can get a few cheeses and they're not expensive. It's it's really great. It's refreshing to not spend so much money on them like we do in the US. And the baguette and maybe a fresh tomato, having a little picnic along the Seine. I'm not a big crepe fan, crepe. Um, no, nor me, no. But they they have some at the Popping Court Market that's in the 11th that are just incredible. And there's always a long line, which is great because then you can watch them make them. And then I also sketch them making them while I'm standing there. And they're just fabulous. So that one place is where I go for that. Of course, I go, so there's a lot of, there are a lot of kind of young entrepreneur, hipster coffee shops in Paris now. And that's one of the things that I really enjoy doing is discovering those or different areas of the city. I'll go to one of those different coffee shops, try their coffees, do coffee tastings, um, have pastries there. I don't eat out in restaurants a lot. I have to say if I did, it would be lunchtime. There's a great Japanese restaurant in the third. I cannot think of the name. But it's mostly not like traditional French food that I enjoy. It's more the things that go around it, the bread, the cheese, the pastries, the coffee, Mm. olives. Yeah. And I I would say like if you are in the tourist areas, really avoid the sort of tourist French food like escargot and frog's legs and these are not the these are almost a joke now for tourists right it's like what why are they even doing that maybe you should do it once but that's not really what French people eat anyway anymore yeah probably not (laughs) and you're right definitely I never ever 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 never 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 ever eat within sight of a tourist site because it will be bad and it will be expensive and I I'm really really work hard to never eat a bad meal. So I will go the mile. I will walk 
That's brilliant. And, and like, I mean, just like, oh, like why, why waste a meal on something bad? It just makes me sad. So there are two resources that I use because like you said, you're a researcher and I am too. I will research to make sure that I eat well. Two resources in Paris that are fabulous. One is a blog and I think they do tours as well. Paris by Mouth is a great website and they have reviews of restaurants. It's pretty up to date. And they also do tours, which is a fun way to eat your way through a city. And then David Leibovitz is an American author and um, food professional who wrote, he writes the most fantastic blog. And so he also has a subscription for his newsletter, which is $20 a year. And I'm like, here, David, take this 20. Yes. Like (laughs) I would give you more, like you give me so much value. His writing is, is incredible. It's funny and smart and helpful. And he'll give some guides to places to eat. So David Leibovitz and Paris by mouth, those are my go-tos for making sure that I know what's up up to the minute in terms of what's open, when it's open, and where to go. Mm, that's that's a great tip. And I mean, we should say about the the wine. What I find is that just the van de table, the you know, that whatever they've got, the house wine is usually completely brilliant. <laughs> Right. There's no, I mean, uh, if you're on your own, you just get a glass or whatever, or a carafe, uh, which I don't know, know, do they do that in America, you know, which is a sort of three glass, three glasses in a carafe, which is very civilized when one is on one's own. I I love that. I love those little, and I've even bought a couple of them, the tiny, it's like a glass and a half or maybe two. And I bring those home. Those are great. I don't know that they do that in the States. They do different size pours, like a Mm. five ounce or a nine ounce. But yeah, there's something like you have this little craft and you're drinking your little wine. Yeah, I think the quality of wine is better there. Obviously, if you get a French wine, it's it's going to be better. And then if you go to a grocery store, there are just so many choices and you can get a bottle for five five dollars five euros yeah a couple of couple of euros and it's good i think that's the difference like people think you have to spend 20 euro or something to get lovely wine but uh, there's so much good wine (laughs) that you can just go with house wine and it and it's good and yeah you can really have a lot of good eating and drinking i think i I love your recommendations there i'm totally gonna go and uh, have a look at those (laughs) yes yeah. Yeah. And cooking classes are a thing now and cooking classes and, and food tours. And I just think that's a super fun way to get a little deeper with, with the food. And then you mentioned sitting down and journaling and sketching. How does your, and your book, of course, is full of your wonderful drawings and um, pictures. So how does your visual art help you see the city in a different way? And, and any tips for people who aren't necessarily so artistically talented? Yeah, well, I started um, I started doing the sketching and drawing in part because, as I mentioned, I'm a sensitive person and it's, it's a lot of input when you travel. I think it's like thousands more inputs than you have on an, an ordinary day at home. So I found that keeping a, a journal sketching was a way to process things and kind of get grounded and not feel so overwhelmed or overstimulated. So that's a great way or reason for keeping a a sketchbook or a journal. And if you're not, if you're like, well, I'm not an artist, I don't do that. Then I think some of the things that in terms of travel, like an artist, what does that mean? When I wrote that book, I was like, I don't want to write 
I can't write just an ordinary guidebook because there are already plenty of those. And what, how do I travel and what is meaningful to me in the way that I travel? And some of that are just some basic things like slowing down. I mentioned earlier, not trying to pack too many things in. If you're operating on the efficiency imperative, you really haven't changed your state of being from being at home. If you're just rushing around doing stuff, then you might just add more stress rather than enjoying it. So even if you do have a lot of things in the schedule, slowing it down a little bit, not having to be anywhere at a certain time really helps me. Like, okay, well, we're going to be there, but I don't have to be there at a specific time. And then even just pausing when you're at a traffic light, you're walking around and you're at a traffic light and that's a forced pause. Look around, look and see how many things you can see. What do you notice? And doing that just randomly, just stopping taking it in. One of the things I like to do, I have two exercises that I do in my workshops. It's sensual focusing and color focusing. So sensual focusing is where you go through each sense and you shut down your eyes and you shut down the sense of sight and you ask yourself, what do I hear? And you tune into all the things you hear. And then what do I smell? And what are all the smells? What do I touch? What's touching me? What's the quality of the air? And just slowing it down and then opening your eyes and um, what do I see? And generally after you've done that, and that takes just three minutes to go through each of the senses, opening your eyes, you really see in a totally different way. It's I call it focusing because it kind of like turns the dials on all of your senses and really lights up your senses. So you're seeing more and feeling more and colors are brighter. It's, it's like a magic trick. And then the color focusing one is just playful where you set out and you say, okay, Today on this walk, I'm going to really notice green. I'm going to see all the different iterations of the color green. And it's so fun to do that because all the other colors dial down and all the green dials up and you start noticing and then you can play with naming them. So, oh, that's French green or that's forest green or that's um, ugly would never use that color green. It's just a way to be playful and notice more. Those are a few ways So pausing, slowing down using your senses more. Those are some ways that if you don't sketch per se or consider yourself an artist, then the like, last thing I would say around that is be curious instead of, it's, it's, a, it's very easy to compare. We go somewhere and say, well, this isn't like that at home and it's not like that at home. And that there's nothing really wrong with that. Maybe also add in being curious and playing with being open, like, oh, I wonder why they do that. That's so weird. It's so interesting. Mm. Yes, and being a little bit outside your comfort zone, like you mentioned with the language, yes, it's not the same, but that's part of the curiosity and, and the acceptance of, of things being different and part of why we travel in the first place. Otherwise, we could just well, stay sure. at home. <laughs> exactly. And I think you bring up a good point about the comfort zone. And I think it's just in our human nature to want to be comfortable. And, you know, when you go to exercise, there's that part where you're exercising and then you slowly start sweating and you're like, okay, it's okay to sweat and get my heart rate up and feel a little stress my body a little. So I think it's the same with traveling and knowing what comforts you need. Like you really need good shoes. Like don't mess around with that. You really need a comfortable bed. What, you know, you need a certain kind of food, but then being open beyond those basic needs to, I can stay up a little later, or I can walk a little longer, or I can be courageous and talk to this stranger. I think we, everybody travels for their own reasons, but I travel to, to grow 
and to learn and to be challenged and to in- encounter and experience a little bit of discomfort. So I think that that grows me and develops me as a person and as a world citizen. Mm. And so how have you dealt with the pandemic? Because I, I personally, I found it very, very hard to not be able to go elsewhere. I mean, we had about, I guess, nine months of lockdown in several bouts where we couldn't even go too far from our houses. And I, I felt like a, a bit of a caged bird, I think, sort of bashing against the, the bars of the cage and found it very hard. So how have you coped with this sort of lack of freedom? Yeah, it's it's definitely a different world that we're living in now. We didn't have restrictions about where we could go. Obviously, it wasn't really for the first year of going inside much, but my husband and I developed this Sunday ritual called that I called LBR, Long Bike Rides. And we would get on our bikes and bike across town to a different neighborhood. We're searching out the perfect breakfast burrito in every place we went. So seeing different neighborhoods, seeing new things really, really gets me going. I love that. So even seeing new things in your neighborhood, walking down a different street, walking down a different alley, letting yourself be awash in wonder when you do see something. And nature is a big um, hit of that, seeing things that are beautiful, like, oh, the leaves or, oh, look at that flower, just noticing. So I think we had to really dial in our acute attention where we're not encountering so many new things. How do we see things anew in our neighborhood noticing the passage of time through nature and the development of plants and trees. The long bike rides really helped. And then yesterday I was in Boulder and I went for a hike and then I came down off the mountain a different way and was walking through a different neighborhood that I'd never seen. I've I've never seen it before. And I was just full of wonder for about 15 minutes looking, wow, look at that. Look at these buildings. And just really noticing by the time I got to my car, I was so happy and filled up. So really dialing up that sense of wonder, even in something as mundane as a street full of houses. Mm, Yes. And I've ended up treating my country like uh, a foreign place and going to places that I haven't visited, even though they're closer to home. You know, in the past, I would have jumped on a plane to Spain or got on the Eurostar and gone to Paris rather than <laughs> go to Wales, which is like an hour from my house, for example. So, yeah, treating things closer to home. But it's interesting. So you mentioned your husband there, but do you do a lot of your trips alone? Because I feel like many of the activities you've mentioned, the, the sort of stopping and sketching or whatever, are more suitable to solo travel. That is a great point. And it is true. For many, many years, I was single and traveled alone. I love it. And that that was part of what I loved yesterday about going to Boulder and going on a hike and then going to the library. I was like, I'm alone. I love being alone. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Right. It just feels good. Like just, it just feels good. It's more restful than I love being with friends and talking, but I think you're right that a lot of that time that I spent alone was the journal, the sketchbook was a sort of ally. And I was never lonely with it. Eating alone, I could always sketch or sitting in a cafe sketching. And it's sort of a friend maker. People will come up and talk to you about it. But it doesn't mean that if you're not alone, you can't use it. Especially for me, anytime I sit down for coffee or lunch or whatever, I get out the sketchbook because I'm just impatient 
I wouldn't say I get bored easily, but I will start eating more or drinking more than I need to because I'm just sitting there. So the, the sketchbook has helped give me something to do and occupy me and get me grounded and centered. And I think if you're with someone, you can do that. And maybe you need to just communicate. I'm with you. I'm completely here with you. I'm just sketching at the same time too. And if you're with family, say if you have children, you may do it as a project together. The notebooks that I first started using were um, accordion albums, or they're also called a concertina where they open up um, big spread of pages open up. And that's a fun thing to do with other people. You can get your kids working on a few pages down the row and you're working on this page. So it could be something that connects you to the people you're with, definitely connects you to the environment, but it doesn't have to be something that you can't do even when you're traveling with someone. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I uh, do travel with my husband, but I do like being alone. And on a recent long walk, I did a, a pilgrimage. Uh, a woman stopped me. I'm so I'm late 40s and a woman stopped me sim- similar age. And she said, uh, do you get scared of of walking on your own? And I just found it very sad that someone would ask me that because she obviously is scared. And yeah, I mean, obviously we protect ourselves, but when you have traveled alone or when you're wandering around the streets of Paris, do you, what, what about the safety? If people are worried about safety of traveling alone, what, what do you think about that? Mm, it's really important. And I do think everybody has their own sense of safety in the world and based on experiences or just thoughts or fears, I am fortunate that I do feel safe in the world. And I think that's because I have not had you know anything terrible happen to me while I'm out there in the world. But partly I rely on my intuition. I really don't mess with that when there's something in me that says, don't go there. I don't go there. Also, that goes to trusting my instincts around people. And as a solo traveler, I really wasn't going out at night much. So that's why Mm. I I don't eat out in restaurants at night. I'm out during the day and maybe I'll go to an event at night, a reading in a bookstore or something, but then I'll go home. But I do feel pretty comfortable in Paris. I bike in Paris. I will do the bike share. So I feel pretty safe on the bike. I feel safe in the metro. I feel like I've just developed a really solid way of being in the world. I act as if I know what I'm doing. I, I'm aware of my environment. And this goes back to the acute, uh, exquisite attention. Like if you're paying attention, you're really, you're much less going to be a victim because you're noticing things like, oh, that person seems shady. I'm going to go away from that. Well, I think at the end of the day, a big city like Paris, it's the same in London or New York or Tokyo or any any big city anywhere in the world. It's be sensible about things, uh, about your safety, but don't let the fear stop you from going and trying something new, I guess. For sure. And if you are going out at night by yourself, that's when you might take a taxi or um, a ride car share home and not take the metro or or a bike. But I really think the bottom line that I would say is really learn to trust your instincts and don't mess around with that because that is really your number one safety tool is knowing, oh, nope, don't go there or, oh, mm, that person is not to be trusted. Mm. That is fail-proof, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So this is the Books and Travel Show. So what are a couple of books you recommend about Paris or set in Paris or about travel in general? 
Well, there are so many books about Paris and so many good ones. I mentioned David Leibovitz earlier, and I really loved, he's written many books and many of them are food related. Um, but one that I really loved was called La Part, and it's about how he bought and renovated his apartment. And it's one of those like renovation horror show stories. If you really like to read those, that, that was super fun. There's another fun little book. It's called Everything Paris, a Petite Encyclopedia of Indispensable and Superfluous Information. And it's just a delight. There are these short entries that tell you things about the metro and about the sewage and just things. If you're interested in facts and information, it's really fun. Um, Lindsay Tramuta is an American journalist who lives in Paris, and she's written two books that I think are fabulous. One is called The New Paris, and that really is speaking to a lot of the entrepreneurs and artists and creative people who are doing business in Paris. Her more, more recent one is called The New Parisienne. And I was so impressed with that book. It was really wonderful. She interviewed a good number of Parisian women and really overcoming that stereotype of what uh, a Parisian woman is. So that was super to get to know those women and all different kinds of women, all different kinds of work. And then they also shared some of their favorite places in Paris. So it's both kind of um, pieces about the women themselves, but then about their favorites in Paris. And then if you like, Kara Black is an American author who writes a series of mysteries set in the different arrondissements in Paris. And I read Murder in the Marais, which is her first one when I was staying in the Marais. And if you like to read books that are set in places where you're traveling, I think that's a lot of fun because you're inhabiting the city or that spot in a whole nother level. And I think that's really fun. So she, she has a series of books that are set in the different neighborhoods in Paris. Mm, fantastic. So where can people find you and your books and everything you do online? I have everything online on my website at originalimpulse.com. My company is called Original Impulse. So it's pretty easy to find me there, originalimpulse.com. I'm on Instagram at Cynthia Morris. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time, Cynthia. That was great. Thanks, Joanna. I loved having this conversation with you. Thanks for joining me today on the Books and Travel podcast. I hope you found a moment of escape. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page. And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my books for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Happy travels until next time.